the Lord for um, the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm just so struck at the humility of the Godhead, the, the power that that is there, and the knowledge that there that, and the desire of God to be in in, in relationship. Um, that he would come and dwell on the top of a box to be with his people, that his son would take on a body of a human to be with his people, and that the Holy Spirit would give a deposit of himself into people like us that, I don't know about you, but I'm continually quenching and running over the Holy Spirit, and yet he's so faithful. He's so faithful to, to stay and do what he's commissioned to do is to bring us into that sanctifying work of conforming to the image of God. So, um, yes, we should be very thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I, was, I just wanted to try to... It seems like over the last few years, the Lord has really begun to kind of open up the, the big story. I think we all know of the... the the theme lines that go through the big story of God, the redemption of man, the, the, how the blood figures in, how the covenant figures in, and in his whole story of, of redemption. And so I just want to kind of give a little bit of a, a new perspective that I have on Pentecost. Um, you know, the, once there was the, the fall there from Adam and Eve, um, began the Lord began, you know, his, I think, pre-planned already he had had it in his mind that he was going to redeem man and so you know we just did a really bad job after that of going our own way and the lord you know the bible says the lord was sad sorry that he had created man and so he looks down and rather than destroying the entire human race you know he he saw one man noah and um, he says, I'm going I'm I'm to save that man and his family. And so, you know, they came through the flood. And then when you get to chapter 11 of Genesis, it lists the um, descendants. It lists all Noah's descendants through his three sons. And uh, that is kind of like called the Table of Nations. I think they're like probably 70 names there. I've not counted them all, but there's about 70 people's names listed there. And, and it's referred to on in the Bible as the Table of Nations. And of course, you know, the same thing begins to happen again. Uh, man is evil and corrupt in all his ways. Nimrod builds this tower in Babel. Uh, as man wants to make a name for himself. And he um, then begins to try to reach into heaven raised himself up to God rather than trusting him to come down and be with them as he had said and desired to do there in the Garden of Eden. So God sees that. He confuses their language and, and, and disperses the people. Um, but he chooses a, 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 another way. He chooses a man and calls Abram to come. And through Abram, he promises to make his name great. He uh, promises that you know, as he obeys me, that that they will bless the nations. And so, you know, then we get the story of Israel uh, at that point. And so, uh, in the fullness of time, you know, Jesus comes, and Jesus is on a mission um, to buy back for the Lord, for God, um, 
his people, his redeemed people. And so, you know, then we have Passover and we have this uh, feast the Jewish had always celebrated called the Feast of First Fruits. Uh, Jesus' death and resurrection, he is the first fruit. Uh, so he is uh, the fulfillment of that shadow of that feast that the Jewish people had um, celebrated all those centuries. And then there is, 50 days later, there's this festival called the Feast of Weeks, which is kind of an, it's an ingathering of the harvest. And so um, it, it's like that's when the Holy Spirit comes. And it's almost like the Lord is saying, now I'm going to begin the gathering in of my redeemed people. And um, it's really interesting um, because there are a a bunch of people from a bunch of different places that are in Jerusalem at the time for for Pentecost, for this this feast. And um, uh, Greg... Can you look up, or somebody look up in your Bible, that particular passage about when the Holy Spirit came on those people? Because it lists a bunch of places where those people are from. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't remember off the top of my head exactly where it is, but there are a, a bunch of people, of places where people are from that are visiting Jerusalem that hear the testimony in their language <laughs> of the 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 glories of God, um, and what's interesting uh, as I was doing some reading about this is those people kind of represent the known world to the Hebrews. It's kind of the same known world as the table of nations uh, that's listed in Genesis 11, and so it, it just struck me that this is the beginning of the end gathering. And as these people returned to these different places, which was kind of like the the known world at that time for the Hebrew nation, it's like it's like God has says, now begins the end gathering, and I'm going to put at least a witness. I don't know how well they were discipled, but they went back home, and they they had a, a whole new perspective about the glories of God through Jesus Christ, and so. It's almost like God's begun this reversal of beginning to bless the nations and calling back to himself a a, a tribe and a a people from every nation which began there in Jerusalem when you see all those different locations that are listed. So to me, it was just like the story just gets richer and richer to me as as uh, the Lord shows me things about this long story and how so much of the Old Testament, which so many people want to just discard, how rich this is when you when you read the Old Testament. So I just wanted to give that perspective that, you know, God has always had in mind the end, but it's incredible to me how he's through all the different steps, he's he's making a way and there are things there that point to it for those that are just diligent, you know, to to read and study. So I just would really encourage us all that as you're reading the Old Testament, there is so much there that when you get to the New Testament, it's like nobody, no 40 authors could have picked this up on their own. And God is, it's just an amazing story. 
that he has uh, begun here and the fact that at Pentecost he's almost like telling the kingdom of darkness I'm coming and I'm sending my people as a deposit in all the places where the nations are at this time and so I just want to leave that with you that that the glories of God are are way more than we can ever imagine as we continue to, to read and study our Bible. It is a lifelong work. And I think we're all going to be just like Billy Graham when he was asked at the, at the last part of his age, what do you regret about your life? And he says, that I didn't read the Bible more and that I didn't pray more. And I'm just thinking, I need to take heed of those words. And, and, and apply that to my life more and more. So thank you for giving me some time. I'll turn it back over to Bill. I just wanted to throw that out this morning. All right. Well, Lisa, when I was thinking about you yesterday, because when you spoke for a few of the devotions at Easter, you talked about the feasts. And um, the first fruits feast, I guess, is when the barley harvest came in. And the Feast of Weeks... The one at Pentecost, the, the wheat harvest came in. And it's not exactly tares and wheat, but it reminded me of tares and wheat. You know, when God separates, and the wheat is what he's looking for. And the wheat harvest is what is when Pentecost fell. It was 50, it was, it was a, a week of weeks, they said. So it's seven weeks plus one day. The next day it was Pentecost. Um, and according to Jewish tradition, this was not just celebrating the Feast of Weeks at the first fruit, uh, the feast, the first of the wheat harvest. It was also to celebrate the giving of the Torah to Moses on the mountain. So a lot of things harken back to this particular celebration, and and all these things are devices to help them remember. Right, they're remembering God was faithful to give them the word. God was faithful to tell them to celebrate the, the harvest of weeks that God is providing for them. And now here at the Pentecost, it was just a celebration of those things. And then God adds this other thing, the Holy Spirit, to birth his church. Um, I thought I'd just read, read this, unless somebody else wants to read Acts 2. Um, but let's just listen to the words. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Horus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. So every country around the Mediterranean was basically there. People from Libya, 
and Arabians and Cretans from the island and people from Rome, all around the Mediterranean were there. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They are filled with new wine. A judgment, they were drunk. The first believers were judged to be drunks. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he has both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were all cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, 
Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were about there were added to that day about three thousand souls. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I had to kind of smile when you were reading that about being accused of being drunk because it just seems like God just delights taking what is meant for evil and turning it around. You know, think about Balaam and how he used this guy. And then you think about Caiaphas, you know, who prophesied that it'd be expedient if one would die rather than all of Israel. And here these people are, are accusing these people of being drunk with new wine, which in fact they were. New wine and new wine skin. Like, you cannot outguess God. You know? He just uses the heathen. Sometimes they prophesy and don't even know it. So, uh, I thought about They were drunk with new wine. They were drunk with new wine. truth spoken. So how is your life different because of Pentecost? <laughs> That's the only answer, right? Everything. Everything is different. Your behavior is different. Your hopes are different. Your attitudes are different. Your feelings are different. Your dreams are different. The ways you live are different. The ways you talk are different. The things that you give yourself to are different. Jesus has laid claim on every aspect of who we are. And he never promises it's going to be easy, does he? He just promises that he'll go with us. And that he has all authority. So we can knock on every neighbor's door. If we want to. And we can scream at the top of our lungs. <laughs> if we want. Any other thoughts about Pentecost anybody would like to share? A couple of things that I was reading and then trying to grasp on a on just a few notes. Started to do it on the phone. But one of the things that I was thinking about is what happened when Pentecost occurred? Communication happened. You know, it says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that was what was happening. I mean, they, they were preaching the gospel while they were praising the Lord. And even the days following that whole week was believers united in the core of their being in love with God. I mean, they, they were sharing the same secret that had just been revealed, uh, something they had not previously known. And, I, and, you know, think about these, uh, these disciples. You know, one reason that the hearers were amazed, these disciples were were real country bumpkins. I mean, I don't know where to describe how 
they had funny accents. They to to the rest of Jerusalem, they they were from the sticks, from way back in the country, because they couldn't pronounce the normal guttural sounds that most Jewish people, especially the people in Jerusalem, could pronounce. They they had difficulty pronouncing the the guttural sounds of the Hebrew language. They couldn't roll their R's. They couldn't roll their R's, they basically, exactly, exactly. And so they stood out in a crowd anywhere, and yet suddenly they had these amazing linguistic powers to speak multiple languages. Think about it, you know, no matter what dialect they were speaking, the people said, I heard it in my own language. Is that crazy or what? You know, but to, to God to even change to change that. And then just thinking about Peter. Fifty days earlier, you know, this some people say this was Peter's greatest sermon, which makes me frustrated because this was his very first sermon. Uh, but fifty days earlier, he had committed the greatest denial of Christ in history. So he goes from the greatest denial to the greatest sermon. And and then I was just looking at at what that sermon contained. Nothing big and flowery. If you look at exactly what it contains, I mean you could take the sermon and and use it to share the gospel. Because it's, it contained Christ's incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. And that's why they say that Peter's sermon, that was his greatest sermon. You know, 50 days earlier, Peter had been full of pride. And, you know, he fell into, uh, uh, I guess I would, I guess, the most deep depression after uh, forsaking Christ. You know, a profound emptiness is what I would guess. And yet, somehow, you know, on the shores, when he was confronted with Jesus, that emptiness was gone and he found that fulfillment. So he made it from that emptiness to being confronted by Christ, being charged to feed his sheep, to the point of this sermon. You know, so much of a fulfillment that, well, what was it? 3,000 believers were saved at this time. And I would argue that it's not just Peter, that that's the change that I believe takes place in all of us when we are confronted with Christ, turned away from our, you know, shown what our emptiness is, and find that fulfillment in Christ. And we should, and this is a conviction on myself, but we should be able to speak as boldly as Peter. And yet I fall under a great conviction when I say that. I don't know whether you heard what Tia said earlier in the meeting about going door to door, and I thought, yeah. Yep. Like Carla was saying, how can you, you just give God thanks, right? I mean, pray with me. Lord, fill us with the oil of joy of the Holy Spirit of God. 
And Lord, rekindle the flame within us. Lord, pray for courage and conviction and compassion. To be, to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, we, we thank you for your word that reveals to us your plan and intention for us. It reveals to us the Savior, who we, and it reveals to us our desperate need for the Savior and the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we give you thanks for agreeing with the Father to send the Holy Spirit to dwell within your church and every believer who calls upon your name. And Lord, truly, let us call upon your name. Not to bless our own work and actions and thoughts, but Lord, to to call upon your name that your name might be lived within each of us and we truly might be like Christ. Christians like Christ. Lord, we, we live in a world filled with needs and hurt and anxiety and despair. Lord, would you bring to us those situations that you'd have us to minister? And Lord, we do realize that our first ministry is of prayer. To know your heart, Lord, and to seek your face. So, Lord, as we remember those from this week, the situations around the globe, Lord, just ask for the strength to, to endure and to bear up under these things. And yet, Lord, to bring into every place the grace of God by the power of the Spirit of God. Lord, we ask your presence here among us to convict our hearts and remind us, Lord, that it's, it is to you that we should run, whether we're feeling sad or glad. It's to you that we should run. Lord, no matter how we have failed, no matter how we have been proud of ourselves, Lord, let us come to you in joy and repentance. Thank you, God.